one not for kids. Welcome to the No Scores Trivia Podcast. We are Ben McKenzie and Ken McBenzie, and we host a weekly feminist pub quiz in San Francisco. It is the most fun you can have without setting your clocks ahead for years. So we make this podcast to share the experience with fans near and far who can't make it down to Shotwell's Bar on Monday nights. We write an original game every week where we ask questions about anything that isn't sports. We've got the best taste, and we like the best stuff. So our research takes us to some really strange corners of history, human behavior, and the natural world. We couldn't possibly fit it all into one game, and we're not going to keep it all to ourselves. Martin Luther King and Anne Frank were born in the same year. Oh god, it's so weird. So we want to share stuff like that with you two that will melt your brain. Yeah, so time isn't real. Yeah. We learned. Good news. It's like really annoying that time isn't real, yet it's dark all the time. I feel like <laughs> one or the other. No, it was just daylight savings time, and that was uncool. Mm-hmm. So we made a game about it. Yeah. We are connoisseurs of the space-time continuum. <laughs> we have a lot of opinions about the space-time continuum. Yes. I would say. We have very strong feelings about mm-hmm. time travel, which is don't do it. It's highly nuanced <laughs> in the direction of no. We're anti. Yeah, so we made a game, and it was great. We also recently won another award. Mm-hmm. We just, like, can't stop We continue winning. being the best. Big thanks to all readers and voters of the San Francisco Bay Guardian Best of the Bay 2017 poll. We are your favorite trivia night. We are the best. We will soon receive a fancy certificate. We have an empty cabinet to nowhere in our hallway mm-hmm. that we've been wanting to make into a shrine for quite some time. So I really want to sort of paper the back with the certificate in some sort of very shiny, transparent coating. Yes. With many lights yes. um, pointed at it and a speaker rigged to play Simply the Best by Tina Turner. Yes. When you open the door to the cabinet. 100%. <laughs> I want it to be like blinding. Yes. Yeah. I bet we could Dangerously coat it reflective. with gold glitter nail polish, a yes. top coat. And it will still be legible. Yes. So that's the plan for that. <laughs> uh. <laughs> so we hosted Time Is Not Real Trivia in honor of Daylight Savings. My favorite thing about that game, one of my favorite things about that game probably was actually all of the memes that you uncovered while research, while promoting Time Isn't Real Trivia. Mm-hmm. From whence I took the fact about Martin Luther King and Dan Frank. Um, and I also really liked one of your questions this week, which was, <laughs> <laughs> how old is Tina Turner? Because yeah. that was what autofill. Yeah. Yeah. I wanted to ask how old the universe is. So I started to Google how old is. And it auto-filled how old is Tina Turner, which is apparently the age Googlers are most interested so in. it's very Googleable. I graded that round. What was most notable to me was that everybody was wrong about how old Tina Turner was. Uh, she is 77. And everyone was extremely impressed when I read the answer. Audibly impressed, as you may recall. <laughs> also, no one really knew how old the universe was, which is 13 <laughs> to 14 billion years old. And actually, no one was impressed by that. What? <laughs> was no one impressed by people the were, Earth being nearly fourteen billion years old? People were way more impressed by Tina Turner. I think because it's like more specific. Okay. In a way, seventy-seven is a lot of years old to ha- be kicking to ass be on so stage constantly. Extremely rad. 
Yeah, Tina Turner, we salute you. Universe, we also salute you. You're doing a good job. <laughs> You're doing fine. Even though no one cares. Um, we also did an awesome this or that, I thought, this week. Yeah, the this or that round is where we get to make lots of weird quizzes, like who's Twitter, Martha, Stuart, or Snoop Dogg, or, you know, which is it, old-timey orgasm slang, or short-order cook. Codes. But this time we went really classic. <laughs> we did. It was this or, it was this or that. Yeah. Does this place observe daylight savings time or not? And it was really hard. It was really hard. We asked the one that I think of all the weird ones, people who know weird facts about daylight savings time, which is a small subset of people, know this one, which is that Arizona doesn't mm-hmm. observe. They claim it's to save energy, but like I don't believe any arguments about daylight savings time one way or the other. No. I just like don't believe any of that crap. And I'm not inclined to believe that Arizona weirdly got one thing right. They observed it one time in 1967 because <laughs> they forgot to file their exemption. <laughs> <laughs> That's hilarious. What were your other favorite time facts from the game? Other stuff, other time stuff I liked while researching the game. I really enjoy contemplating the fact that time is not real. Mm-hmm. I really like the fact that at a certain point, physics becomes indistinguishable from magic, or at least the way that physics is written about it becomes indistinguishable yes. Yes. from magic. Math witch. Like. <laughs> Science witch. The ordinary laws of physics operate within time and therefore are inherently unable to explain the beginning of time. Mm-hmm. Like, if we assume a chain of causality in which in which actions have reactions and that is how physics works. We do assume that chain of causality. We do fact. assume that. Um, the Big Bang is an event that happened that mm-hmm. caused the universe to exist. Mm-hmm. What caused the Big Bang to happen before anything existed? It's like a transition phase where space crystallized out of a state of spacelessness. Yeah. That's nonsense. Yeah, but also physics, I guess. And there are really delicious memes about how time doesn't exist, and I recommend you Google all of them. Yeah, it's super fun. And also, like, time doesn't exist, and time and distance are super related, and it turns out that distance might not not exist. Mm -hmm. Like, even Einstein talks about a thing called, quote-unquote, I love this thing, spooky action at a distance. Whoa! Which, like... Name of my sex tape. Right, like, we're talking about physics, like, physical actions for a really long time and still i guess classical physics you can think of as being basically trying to boil everything that ever happens down to collisions Mm -hmm. even if those collisions are between like electrons or particles Mm -hmm. except at a certain point that just falls apart like you can't explain gravity like no two objects physically interact in a way that would explain gravitation so time's not real and also distance isn't real Mm -hmm. and also nothing probably is real indeed yeah but our guest is real. Yeah. <laughs> our guest is real. Our guest is amazing. Our incredible friend Claire is an ASL interpreter who specializes in providing interpretive services for healthcare patients. And that is a fucking rad job. Yeah, we had a super awesome time talking to Claire in Portland, and now you're going to have a super awesome time listening to us talk to Claire in Portland. Let's hear from Claire. Woo, Claire! Hello, Trivios. You are in Portland with Ben and Ken, where we are sorting each other into our Hogwarts houses by alcohol type and playing trivia with Claire Alexander. Hello. An ASL interpreter specializing in mental health. Yes. Hello. (laughs) Thanks for having me. Thank you for being here, Claire. Yay. Which Hogwarts houses are we in? So when I do this traditionally at my geeky science fiction convention that I attend that I love, I would have a sorting hat with air quotes around it because it's actually a crown royal bag. Yes. You You would pull something out and you wouldn't get to see the color of it and I would give you a shot 
that you would have to do, and we have non-alcoholic versions for the non-drinkers, but you'd have to do a shot, and then mm. whatever base liquor you tasted in the drink, that would sort you into your house. So it has been predetermined based on your destiny, based on what you chose. So you right. take a shot, and then what do you taste? Vodka. Then you would be in huffle-faced, <laughs> which is the catch-all. If you tasted gin, you would be in Ginfindor. If you tasted tequila, you would be in Ravenkila. And if you tasted a rum-based drink, you'd be in Slitherum. Oh my god. <laughs> it's like a pun-based liquor system. Yes. Yes. Like my life is like a pun-based liquor system. <laughs> Fantastic. Done. Wow. <laughs> well, now that we have concluded your interview, shall we begin your interview? <laughs> sure. Let's talk about your day job. What does it mean to be an ASL interpreter who specializes in mental health? That's a great question. So I went to school to learn how to become an interpreter, and that is an entry-level door that opens, and then like any good practitioner, you have to get expertise in additional kind of fields, and I made the decision to learn a lot more about interpreting in mental health settings. I have done a specialty certificate called the Qualified Mental Health Interpreter. I've heard it as the QMHI or the Q. It is a long training curriculum that includes going down to Alabama for a week of workshops and lectures and class discussions, and then you go home, and then you do practicum, and then you go back and you do a on-site practicum and you do case studies and you discuss best practices and you do kind of inpatient out in the community and at the Bryce Psychiatric Hospital. They're phenomenal. They are deaf practitioners providing services to deaf clients, which is not a thing that happens a lot in the world. And they like your chops. They say your ethics are in alignment and you have expertise and they give you a certification and then they send you off into the world to educate everyone that you can on better practices with deaf people. Because in a perfect world, deaf people would be serving deaf people, but in reality there are barriers to higher education and access and hiring practices and systems that don't like to hire people that don't look like them and sound like them and feel like them. So interpreters working in mental health become a lot of the resources for the practitioners and the consumers. And so that is what I do. A therapeutic setting is one in which clear communication is, clear communication is always important for all people to have access to, but it's one in which it is exceptionally important. Yeah. Um, How many people do this kind of work? Not enough, I think is the short answer. There are more deaf people getting services from practitioners that don't work with deaf people or don't have cultural knowledge in the deaf community then that do. I want to make sure that the services that they're getting are kind and affirming and awesome, you know? (laughs) So what does it mean to you to do this work effectively? I think having my head in the right space when I go into it is really important. People know when they meet an interpreter what your intention for being an interpreter is. I think a deaf person can look at you and say, you're here because you want to help the poor deaf people and that's a turnoff. For me, it's about being aware of my bias. It's about being aware of the power dynamic in a room. I can sometimes use my power as a hearing person in the room with some sense of authority because I'm there as a referee, as it were, Mm -hmm. to make sure that people get to talk equally. The reality is that in an interaction, in an interpretation, typically the person with the professional degrees, certifications, the doctor, the therapist, the clinician, has more power than the patient. And maybe in an alternative universe, we would have that be an equal distribution of therapists working with hearing people and vice versa but in reality the vast majority of the time it is a deaf patient working with a hearing provider and so that is already a power imbalance and in some cases it's appropriate to equalize that power dynamic right in other cases and this is kind of one of the mental health features you are supposed to align yourself with 
the provider because the provider is the person with the knowledge or the gatekeeper that is going to have to lead that person into health, especially if you're in a crisis type situation. Mm -hmm. That said, I do need to intervene if they are making a culturally inappropriate comment or they are missing some important element of diagnostics or language or features that they wouldn't notice because they don't know deaf people. And that's a lot of kind of what the QMHI training teaches us, which is fantastic. Do you have kind of a go-to example of that? Yeah. A perfectly well-adjusted deaf person taking a psych evaluation test would false positive for paranoid and socially isolated and depressed oh, because of their average life experience, because of the way questions are skewed. If you ask, like, a hearing person, when you go out in public, do you feel like everybody stares at you? Do you feel like people watch you all the time? Oh, God. <laughs> if you say yes, you're going to read as paranoid or kind of socially mm-hmm. anxious. If you're a deaf person using sign language, that's just... It's an accurate... It's true. It's an accurate <laughs> you know, you ask a question like, do you feel like you don't connect with your family? Do you feel like they don't understand you? Do you regularly feel misunderstood and excluded from social gatherings with your family? The average deaf person will probably say yes, because 90% of deaf kids don't have deaf parents. And so there's, even in the well, most well-intentioned families, there's going to be that gap where the child is thriving with fluent sign language language and the parents are struggling to keep up to learn language as fast as their kiddo did in an environment where they're also parenting and doing all those other things. So that is a very common deaf experience and yet we're gonna call that person socially isolated or maladjusted or whatever else. So something interesting about diagnostics is when you're not talking about mental health, medical diagnosing involves hard data, right? Like this lab result, this blood count, this number that we measured with a tool that's pretty impartial. When you're talking about mental health diagnoses, you're mostly talking about reporting, what people describe as their symptoms. So people say they've been awake for several days. They describe kind of dysfunction in their interpersonal relationships. They talk about how they're feeling. So if those things are not culturally informed or the communicator that's there facilitating the language doesn't words good, people get bad diagnoses or they don't get served well. (laughs) You have to words good if you're an interpreter, (laughs) as it turns out. So that's the stuff that's kind of meaty and awesome and fascinating to me. That is meaty and awesome and fascinating and so important. What kind of relationships do you develop with the people that you interpret for? I try to have, on a one-off interaction, I try to have a really loving and dignified encounter, and I want them to feel like whatever barriers they have to their success or their process aren't put in place by me. Right? I don't assume that any given interaction is going to be successful because people aren't ready to hear hard information, or they're having a bad day, or it sucks to get a bad diagnosis, and that's not mine to own. But I'm not going to be the reason why they couldn't have accessed something that they were ready for. If I work with people over time, like more than just a one-off appointment where I'm in a doctor's office for two hours, I want them to feel like they can trust me. I want them to feel like I am there to help them be successful and that on some level there's going to be empowerment. They're going to feel like they get to do more than just survive that interaction. They can actually enjoy it or they can have a positive relationship with that therapist, that doctor. They can get a thing that they need. Claire, this is amazing. You are amazing. You're making, like, we need a thousand more of you. Um, And I understand that one of your certifications, you're only one of two people in Oregon who have it. Last time I checked the registry, yes. I'm one of two people that have the QMHI. It is a phenomenal program. It is based out of Alabama because that is where they had the huge class action lawsuit. Like, Alabama was arguably the worst state for serving the mental health services of deaf people, and because there was a class action lawsuit and they won, they turned that into an institution where they trained 
brain mental health providers and therapists and psychologists and psychiatrists, and they've created a fund that perpetuates itself that offsets the cost of training for interpreters. Like their jam is they want to make it cheap and easy and awesome to learn about doing this well. Wow. And it's amazing. The, the training portion is called MHIT, Mental Health Interpreters Training. You can do MHIT and then you can follow up with the certification, which is more applicable to, say, interpreters working in the field. But the MHIT training is really not limited to interpreters. There are pharmacologists and psychologists and psychiatrists and counselors and social workers that just have deaf people in their caseload that want to know more about this stuff and they will go down there. And it is dirt cheap on purpose because they want this information to get out. They want it accessible they want it shared they like this is their agenda they want to send their little winged monkeys out into the world and make everything better and they're amazing people doing amazing stuff so if you are in any of those fields and you're curious about it look up qmhi look it up through the the state of alabama steve hammerdinger is the the psychologist right hammerdinger he's amazing (laughs) it's fantastic they encourage a culture of teaching one another and how we serve deaf people getting treated with dignity in mental health settings and that's my jammy jam like go do it if it interests you awesome yeah what what are some really good access points that you recommend to hearing folks who would like to learn asl i think the best place to start is just trying to learn a little bit of sign language if you are really interested in actually developing some fluency or conversational language skills you can look at whatever's in your community, right? Community colleges have sign language classes. You can audit language classes. The problem of hearing parents suddenly having a deaf child and needing to like bone up on their sign language fast is a very common problem. So when you start looking into local community ed after hours classes, there's actually a lot of little sign language classes kind of everywhere to serve exactly that purpose. That said, some of them are prioritized understandably for deaf people and family members, but you can find ASL classes everywhere. One of the other things I love to offer people if they don't have the time commitment or the money commitment to just go to a class is there are some phenomenal resources that deaf people are making and they literally make it the easiest thing in the universe for you to just start passively getting exposed to more deaf culture content. There is this wonderful fellow recognized there was a real lack of timely, unbiased, awesome news information for deaf people. So he just started doing it himself. It's called The Daily Moth. You can look it up on Facebook and he just posts one to two videos a day that are short, captioned, transcribed below if you like go to his website. They are incredible reporting. They're unbiased. They are professionally done. They are phenomenal and they are done in sign language. There is a nice combination of world events and national and international news. And then there is a decent amount of putting in things that are relevant to the deaf community, right? He talks about things that are, you know, the scuttlebutt at Gallaudet. And he talks about like this little sports team that has plucky deaf kids that are getting scholarships and blah, blah, blah. And so that's just kind of a passive way to hear more about what's happening. And then they're great to watch because if you don't know any sign language, you're reading the captions, but then your little eyeballs are also seeing the ASL in the background. I just, I love that. You can follow whatever deaf celebrities you like that are putting out vlogs. People love now the Marco. If you like Dancing with the Stars, you can watch him. So just just start taking in deaf art, deaf produced things, deaf created stuff, because you're going to start just having it be part of your world. And then it's not going to be weird when you're at a Starbucks and somebody's behind you using sign language. And that's the stuff that I think 
we could all work on is just normalizing the fact that there's a heck of a lot of deaf people in the world and they can just exist and use sign language and don't have to be stared at because it's going to screw up their psych evaluation test. (laughs) Right? Little no-brainer stuff like that. Right. (laughs) Perfect. Amazing. Yeah. Thank you so much for sharing your brilliance in that way. Are you ready to share your brilliance in another way? Okay. It's time to play trivia. Woo, trivia. We have two rounds of brain-melting trivia for you this morning. Round number one is called Sex Stuff. It is about sex stuff. (laughs) Round number two is a this or that. This one is historical in nature. It's called Which Came First. We're going to give you two pieces of human technology, Mm. and you're going to tell us which one was invented first. Yes. Uh, According to the best reports we could find. Okay. I'm going to be enthusiastic, always, accurate, maybe. Great. How about that? Same seas. (laughs) I'm ready. Round one, question one, is multiple choice. Okay. According to condom manufacturer Trojan, Mm -hmm. as of 2011, the vibrator market is what proportion of the size of the condom market in the United States? This is in dollars, not in units sold. Okay. Is it A, one-third the size, B, half the size, C, twice the size, or D, the same size? Vibrators versus condom sales. Yes. And this is just male condoms. Yes. Okay. I'm going to say the same. Good guess. I am very proud to report that the vibrator market is twice the size. Oh, I'm so happy. Market. Trojan, like they started making vibrators and selling them at Walgreens ah. to get in on the sweet, sweet vibrator money. I want to buy one of those vibrators and, like, test it out, because I don't have a high level of confidence. Yeah. But it is notable. Yeah. Um, Vibrator access. And that would be such fun research to do. Like, how do you not win at that research? Mm -hmm. By wasting 12 bucks on a shitty vibrator again. (laughs) (laughs) But then you'll know, and you'll get a good story out of it. Again. (laughs) It'll be an esports trivia expense. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, I was giving a practical answer, but I'm happy to be proven wrong that there are more. I, yeah, it is like, delightful. I how would, lovely. Yes. Moving on. <laughs> An island country has the highest rate of vibrator ownership at 48%. Which country is that? An island country. Mm-hmm. Oh, somewhere sexy. Clearly. Yeah. How about this hint? It is not tropical. Scotland? New Zealand. Yes. yes. Good job, Kiwis. You know, I lived there for a year. You did? Where? Did 12. you notice that everyone had a vibrator? I was 12, so, so I didn't, yes. but yes. <laughs> I think in my heart I knew that that was true. I think I also guessed Scotland first because I also have a friend that lives there, and she's a fantastically sexy human being, and that just made sense in my world, too. Also, I really like Outlander, so. Yeah. <laughs> cool. I feel like Scotland owns more vibrators because of Outlander. I feel like the world owns more vibrators because of Outlander. <laughs> Doing good work. Maybe none. <laughs> Number three. Okay. You can clean silicone dildos by boiling them in water. Of course. For two points, please tell us the boiling point of water in Fahrenheit and in centigrade. 212. Mm-hmm. And, uh, how is it, 100? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Nice. In the metric system, it's always the most obvious answer. Yeah. <laughs> 100 and 0. 110 or 100. I had to think about that because I generally just throw it in the dishwasher. <laughs> Yeah, mm-hmm. that's a legit choice. I'm like mm-hmm. boiling it. What? It's a pot and a thing. Some people don't have dishwashers. That's true. <laughs> you did great at that round, as I knew you would. And now it is time for a little history magic. Okay. 
This, I think, is a hard round. Oh, dear. We're going to tell you two inventions, and you're going to tell us which came first. Mm -hmm. Keep in mind, we did our best. Don't write in if we're wrong or if you think we're wrong. Uh, Wikipedia thinks we're right. So, (laughs) question one. Which came first? Eyeglasses or parachutes? Eyeglasses. Eyeglasses. You're totally right. Would you like to guess the century? No. (laughs) But, I mean, they've had optics and they've had lenses for quite a while, so I wouldn't be surprised if it's earlier than people think. Yeah. It is the 13th century. Cool. 1286 in Italy. Italy. Which is bonkers. Parachutes also pretty early, 1470s. Also in Italy. Italy was good at stuff. Yeah. They did a lot of physics. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, number two, algebra or the canon? Algebra. Algebra. Of course, ninth century Syria. Yeah, because math. You need the math to do the projectiles and the explosions, <laughs> right? You're so good at this game. Yay! All right, musical notation or an alphabet. Or the what alphabet? Musical notation or an alphabet, the first alphabet we know of. So alphabet talks about written form. Musical notation talks about written form. Hmm? I would have to imagine that it was more fundamental to document language than music, although in my heart I wanted to be music first. But I'm going to guess it was language first. Your first guess was correct. It is musical notation. Really? That's exciting. Who's yeah. doing that? So um, there's musical notation in Sumer. Sumerian music. 2000 before Common Era was musical notation in Sumer. And then 1700 before Common Era. So 300 years later, which is a long time to them, but a very short time in the scheme of things, was the first known alphabet in Phoenicia. So that's modern Lebanon. That is so Interesting. I know that oral traditions are the way that information was kind of transmitted. So I wonder if the ability to just document melody mm-hmm. or music, which was then set to words, facilitated storytelling and was kind of all they really needed as a shorthand for documentation, barring an actual alphabet. And maybe that would explain why it took 300 years to get the letters down later. It's so fucking good. Language is cool. Right. Good job, Sumeria. Number... 10 points to your house. Four? Four. Fake teeth or mirrors? Man. I'm going to say mirrors. Am I wrong? It's teeth. It's teeth the teeth. Teeth first. Yeah. Uh, also pretty close, clo- close, relatively speaking, close-ish to each other. 750 before Common Era for the teeth. 450 before Common Era for the mirror. In Lebanon. That's cool. The teeth were Etruscan? Yep. Yeah. Get get yourself some Etruscan wooden teeth, man. Etruscan wooden teeth. <laughs> right? Isn't that awesome? All right. I love this one. Mm-hmm. Catapults or porcelain? Oh, I think projectiles. I'm going to go catapults. Right? Like, were you? did you have porcelain to put in your catapult before or after you had a catapult? Well, porcelain's been around for so long. I did yeah. ceramics in high school, and I just loved it. And I, yeah. But porcelain itself isn't isn't as old as like stoneware and i have to believe that we were mm-hmm. chucking shit way before we were making white pottery so i'm gonna say i'm gonna say catapults chucking shit right yeah catapults Bally were me. 421 before common era in ancient greece or phoenician carthage yeah and um so i don't know what that war is all about like this is one of the things if we're finding it it's probably not the first yeah right like it's probably very yeah. well made or Happened to get buried in a lucky way after, 
you know, under a ton of ash. Yeah. So lucky for everyone involved. They have a Pompeii exhibit at OMSI right now, which is beautiful, oh, by the way. Oh, awesome. Also depressing. Also beautiful. Yeah, Pompeii is fucking fascinating. Um, but yeah, porcelain, you're totally right. Tang Dynasty China, um, 7th century. Yeah. Common era. Yeah. So... Yep. That's pottery predating, yeah. but not porcelain. Right, like that's its own pinch pots thing. from mud yeah. and slab work is yeah. as old as fucking anything. Mm-hmm. All right, you're doing great. Yes. That's the last question. Okay. Last question of the morning. Uh, pulp paper, not papyrus. Okay. Pulp, pulp-based paper mm-hmm. or coins. And you mean coins as in metal that is minted, not currency. Mm-hmm. Right. I'm still going to say coins. It's the paper. Paper's first. Cool. Pulp, pulp paper. Sec- uh, second century before Common Era in China. Cool. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and then the coins are from Lebanon. Lebanon is just like the, the fucking breadbasket of invention. Yeah. You did great. Yay. You won at trivia. You won at the Yay. trivia we wrote for you that you are the only player in. And I'm okay not getting everything right as long as I got enough right to win a prize because people don't have to be perfect. I'm working on that. <laughs> but I also like prizes. Thank you to look. Congratulations on your victory at trivia. You win a prize. Uh, there's only one rule of the prize bag. What's that? Rule? There are no take backs. Ah. Unlike at the bar, however, we invite you to look in bed. Yes. What is going on? No, what? stop. I will have no regrets. I got stickers of cute little things with smiley faces on them. Fantastic. <sighs> On a That's scale, a happy taco. On a scale of one to ten, <laughs> happy taco is. Or one is ten. a happy taco, and ten is some Etruscan fake teeth. How would you rate this breath? So this is a reverse scale because happy taco is a one on this scale, and happy taco is clearly better than Etruscan teeth. So I'm gonna give in this. In your opinion. Yeah, wow. In my subjective, important opinion, I'm gonna say two enthusiastic happy tacos. <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> that brings us to the almost end of the show. Guess what time it is, Ben? <gasps> it's the best time. Guess what time it is, Claire? I don't know what time it is. It's zero to sixty time. <gasps> we invite you to perform zero to sixty seconds of the music of your choosing. We have no broken kazoo, no guitar, no piano, no mandolin, no glockenspiel, but we do have a very weird decadent hotel room full of shit. There's a chandelier above your head. There is a glass table in front of you. Don't play that. That will sound terrible. Uh, there is a old-timey telephone. There are glasses. There are glasses full of candy that clink. There you are could do so many stickers things. with happy tacos. Do you? How is that an instrument? Tell me more. Uh, I could just show you. Do you want me to play you the song I sing my dog Maggie when she's in a cone and she's unhappy? For sure. Yes. And I'm going to play it on the instrument of taco happy stickers. Yes. Okay. Ready? Yes. What? What? I've got a puppy named Maggie, and normally she is real waggy. But when we put the cone on her, she starts to pout until I'll sing a song with her. Dance with the dog in the kitchen and sing, okay, now she's happy. Dance with the dog in the kitchen and sing, okay, now she's happy. Dance with the dog in the kitchen and sing. <gasps> I sing that to her when I have to put the cone on her, and then she gets happy. And it also reminds everyone of Beetlejuice, which is a nice service to provide. And Harry Belafonte, <laughs> who is Sunshine and Rainbows. Oh, Harry Belafonte, your sunshine and, sunshine rainbows. and rainbows. Did you know? You can write in. Um, about <laughs> that only. <laughs> Claire Alexander, thank you so much for being on the show. You were amazing. That was amazing. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Do you have any last things you want to tell our listeners? Are there ways they can find you on the internet? Are there things you would like them to look at, do, see, think about? 
Um, go forth and be happy. Do all the things. Mwah. Thank you, Claire. Thank you, Claire. We did it. That was the 42nd episode. Motherfucker. Yeah. So, if you are local to the Bay Area, please come and play one of our award-winning live games. We've got one every Monday night at Shotwell's Bar in the Mission, except for holidays, including the Monday after Thanksgiving, because no one will come. But all the other, all the other Mondays, come on down to Shotwell's Bar in the Mission and win free beers and weird prizes from the prize bag. You can also come to Queer Sex Trivia every third Thursday at the Stud in Soma, We've got amazing prizes donated by Good Vibrations, and November 16th is the next Queer Sex Trivia game at the stud. It's going to be about porn. We've got to have a theme. Porn is a very good theme. It's the Porno Pub Quiz. Yep. It's so, so alliterative and great. Come to the Porno Pub Quiz and win a literal bag of dicks. <laughs> they vibrate. In the meantime... Please, please, please give us five stars on iTunes, subscribe to this here podcast, and find us on all the social medias. We are Baron Dinosaur, but we do our best. (laughs) (laughs) Typing is so hard. I only have three toes or fingers, I'm not sure what to call them. Follow us to see photos of the drawing grounds from the pub quiz, pictures of the winners, and tons of other good stuff. You can find us at nosportstrivia.com and at nosportstrivia on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. No sports ever. Feminism forever. No sports trivia room.